All right, well, we are on the second week of our new series called Stories. Everybody has one. And at this time, I'd like to invite Maxine to come and tell us her story. I was brought up to value education, value making a difference in the community, value security, and value doing God's work. Coming from a war and torn country to America, my parents didn't have much, so to endeavor a good life for themselves and for their seven kids makes sense. Uh, my parents pushed me to aim high. I was to pursue education and pursue God. As I got older, I had two career choices. I was to become a lawyer or a doctor. Because they also didn't want me to get into gangs like so many Hmong families they knew. They sent me to a Christian private school. We didn't have much money, so my parents had us work their cleaning business with them to make money, as well as we got financial aid through an organization called Kids First. During this time, I saw my father love God and serve his people. We did it together. It was part of my life. I was oblivious to the struggles of it. I don't think I experienced the toll ministry had on a family until I graduated college with my Bachelor's of Arts degree in English. You see, I was all set for law school. I had done three legal internships each summer of my undergrad. I had a great reference from a, from a professor whose uncle had been named after the library of the law school of choice. A law firm I had previously interned for was preparing for the day I would graduate. My heart was set on making a difference through it. I dreamed I would practice at the firm for a while and then eventually delve into social justice. But then I came home. I came home to the aftermath of a broken family because of the hardships of ministry. Living in a home with all that pain had me questioning my career choice because I didn't want the life my parents had. This had me reflecting on a movie quote for you Marvel fans out there. Do you remember that movie? X-Men, Days of Future Past, when a scene where Professor X was communicating with his younger self. The younger told the older, I don't want your suffering. I don't want your future. Do you remember the anguish and sorrow in his voice? Those were the same thoughts I reflected on and cried about at night. When the younger, while the younger professor came around pretty immediately, it seemed, that didn't happen to me. I sought a different future for myself. I said I would only serve God if and only if I was stable. That is when I started on a new journey. I started researching network events, which led me to my first one. It was a really good one hosted by a tech firm. I was impressed with the presentation about customer service focused IT solutions. Afterwards, I went to one of the recruiters and told them this was the company for me. I stalked them for six to eight months until they gave me a job. <laughs> that is how my tech career started. As I continued my journey working in IT, living in a little studio in uptown Minneapolis, and eating at my favorite restaurants, I found I was only able to purchase temporary happiness. Little things started to get to me. I would be upset about not getting my TV on time in the mail, um, spending $30, $40 a night on tasteless takeout food. I had the basics of everything, 
and going into in a direction I thought I, would, I wanted, but I wasn't happy. My wake-up call was being laid off. A few months after, I decided to try things God's way. This led me to my Baptist youth camp at the age of 25. It opened my eyes to experiencing God's love and seeing his love for me through my church. I started getting involved in ministry again, from fundraising to nursery. Things were going great for a while, but in 2018, things changed. God was calling me to do something else, and it was painful. It was painful because I knew that I meant leaving my church, but I also knew I needed to obey. The door he opened for me was a place at River Life doing homeless ministry. I knew it because I saw God through it. I didn't see him physically, but I knew it to be God's work because I had read about it in the Bible, and now I was experiencing it. Please know that there are still times I don't understand why things happen. I plead and I cry out to God, why is this happening to me? Why is this so hard? I know I am to trust you, but are you sure? Thankfully, I have come around so far and trust him again. Over time, God shows me that he is good and that he provides. That is why I trust. That is why I obey and I turn back to him because there's nothing worth living for. The more I see him, the more I take steps to follow him. As imperfect as they may be. In my almost 30 years of living, I discovered that I only think I know what is best. God in all his power who knows all things, created all things, will always know what is best. When I choose to seek him, when I choose to ask for his help, when I choose to follow him, I find that I become part of his story, and it is the best one yet. Even if I don't have all the money I think I should have, the nicest house, or the best job, I see him and experience him, and that is the greatest thing worth living for. So everyone has a story, and every story starts with a once upon a time. Most of us would like to forget that once upon a time and move on from the past and just enjoy the present and dream about the future. But see, what I believe is that with any story, the past reveals our brokenness. The past reveals our brokenness, and it actually reveals our need for God. So we all need a past, and we all have one. My story begins with a past where I was a young, five-year-old mom girl who appeared, or not appeared, but got here, landed in America, and started a life here as a refugee. Uh, we lived in a small Midwestern town where there are very few people of color. So I did not feel like I fit in at school because everybody looked different from me. And I didn't think that my classmates, my teachers, the townspeople, I didn't believe they could understand my cultural values and practices. And I didn't think they could relate to me 
as an immigrant, as a foreigner who looked different from them. On the other hand, I didn't think my parents or my relatives could understand me either. As a young girl growing up and acculturating pretty quickly to the language and to the values of the Western culture, I didn't think that my parents and my relatives could understand me either. I didn't think that they were able to uh, accept or understand my progressive ideologies of equality uh, or my dreams that I would be college educated or my aspirations to be more than just a wife and somebody's uh, uh, partner who would raise their children. So I really felt like I was on the fringe. On the fringe, looking in at the circle, the people in the middle, those who belong to the long circle and those who belong to the mega or western circle. I felt weird, lonely, unknown, and excluded by the people around me. And I really just longed for someone, anyone, to really know me and connect with me and accept me for all my complexity, uh, my multifaceted personality, and the multicultural ways that I was thinking and seeing the world. Well, it turns out that feeling lonely and feeling excluded is a pretty common experience for people. In 2018, uh, the health insurance company Cigna put together a study and they surveyed 2,000 Americans or people who live in America and they found that 27% of these people said that they rarely or never felt like there was someone who understood them, 27%. 46% of the people said that they feel lonely sometimes or always and 47% said that they feel left out sometimes or always. So looking around this room, that's a lot of us who feel lonely, misunderstood, excluded. And in today's sermon work, actually take a look at a lady, a woman, who was on the fringe of society. She knows what it's like to be excluded and to feel alone. Her story is found in John 4, verse 1 through 42. And we're going to read parts of the story, and then I'll fill in with the other parts of it so that we get, as we get to know her. So if you have your Bibles, you can open with me, or you can read along on the PowerPoint as well. So he, talking about Jesus, Jesus had been down in Jerusalem uh, preaching and healing people, and he was stirring up trouble down there with the religious leaders, so now he had to leave that area and go back up north to Galilee. So he, went, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? 
his disciples had gone into the town to buy food. All right, so we're introduced to this woman, and here are a couple things we learn about her. First, we learn that she is from this little town called Sychar, which is about half a mile or so from that well where Jesus is sitting. The second thing we learn about her is that she is a Samaritan woman. She is a Samaritan, which means that uh, she is from the ethnic group of people who lived in that area. Uh, that central region, and if you can see on the map, it's, um, you can see that Samaria is right in the middle of the land of Israel. And to the north of Samaria is the area called Galilee. And to the south of Samaria is the area called Judea, which is where Jerusalem is. And so Jesus had to go, and he went straight through Samaria. The other thing we need to know about Samaritans people who live in that area, is that they have a very infamous mixed heritage and, and history as well. So about 700 years before this scene at the well, uh, the ancestors, the people who lived there, the Jews who lived there were conquered by a foreign country of Assyria. And the Assyrians came in and took pretty much all the wealthy and the learned people and took them into captivity and left just a few people. And then they brought their own people and people from foreign lands that they had conquered, brought them into this area and had them live in the land, intermarry with the Jews that were there. And the results were the Samaritans. When the Jews who were in captivity came back, to the land of Israel, they were appalled. They looked at these mixed breed people and said, you have, uh, you are mixed blood, you have mixed pagan religions and practices with our Jewish practices and religion. And so they discriminated against the Samaritans. Throughout history, the divide between the Jews and the Samaritans increased because the Samaritans had their own temple uh, there in Samaria, and the Jews had their temple in Jerusalem. So by the time Jesus came onto the scene, Sam Samaritan was basically a curse word for the Jews. These were the people that they looked down upon and they excluded from their cultural as well as religious life. So these are the things we learn about her. What the Samaritan woman realized was that uh, here was a Jew. And so imagine her surprise when Jesus begins to speak to her. Imagine her surprise when Jesus asks her to give him a drink, which would mean that she would have to share her cup or her water jug with him. And she knew that Jews did not want to touch anything that belonged to a Samaritan because that would contaminate them. Okay, so let's read on with her story. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. That word associate 
means to you know, relate to, but it also means to use and touch their things. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a dream, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So Jesus was basically saying, not only am I going to associate with you and talk with you, not only am I going to use your drinking utensil, but I'm going to give you a gift from God. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. We find out a couple chapters later in John 7, verse 39, that when Jesus talks about the living water, he's actually referring to the Holy Spirit that he is going to give to people who believe in him. However, at this point, the woman doesn't know that. All she hears is, this Jewish religious leader is willing to give me a gift from God. And she's probably thinking, how did he know that I don't want to keep coming back to this well. How did he know what my thirst is? Her response to him was, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Now, scholars, people who study the Bible, have speculated through the years, like, who is this woman? What? What is she like? Who, what is her history? Why would she come to the well at noon, the hottest time of the day, when most people stayed home? And why didn't she come with other women to draw water? Because typically women would come in groups and draw water at the coolest time of day, usually in the evening. So what was she doing out there in the middle of the day all by herself? So many people speculate that this was a woman with a bad reputation, that nobody wanted to be with her, that she was shunned and rejected by the townspeople. And this speculation comes from what we know more about her. So let's read on. He, Jesus, told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. So we're not told the details about what happened to those previous five husbands. Perhaps they all died, which would make her a terrifying prospect as a wife if you were the sixth husband, right? Uh, or, if she had been divorced five times, we would wonder, what is wrong with you? Right? So either way, her reputation is, uh, this is a questionable woman. Marry her and you might die. Or marry her and you'll probably divorce her. Okay? That's probably why this sixth guy was like, I don't even need to marry you. 
you're so desperate that you would probably just live with me and I can get the benefits and not even have to like, be responsible for you as, my, as your husband. So it's pretty easy to see that she probably was someone that the townspeople were at, at minimum skeptical of and at worst rejected and saw her as uh, someone that they did not want to associate with. So begs the question, did Jesus really need to talk to her husband before he would give her the gift of the living water? No, he didn't. But it seems that he wanted her to know something really important. He needed her to know that when he chose to talk to her, when he chose to ask for water, when he chose to give her the gift of uh, this living water, that he knew exactly who she was. He knew her sordid past, and he was saying to her, this gift of God is still available to you no matter what your history. And I believe that Jesus was basically saying to her, your past does not disqualify you. Your past does not disqualify you from receiving the gift of God. Does not disqualify you from me taking time to share this great news with you. So rather than being apologetic or defensive about her history or ashamed of it, she took Jesus at his word and she began to engage him in conversation about some of these troubling questions that she's always had. So in her heart, she wanted to worship God, but the Jews said to her, your worship is not correct. You worship here on this mountain, you're supposed to come to Jerusalem, so God does not accept your worship. And she was worried about that. So she asked Jesus about it. And his answer to her was that God is looking for true worshipers who worship him in the spirit, the Holy Spirit, and in truth. And she realized I want to know the truth. So she had this thought, and she said to him, you know what? I am waiting for God's promised Messiah, the deliverer who's going to come. And she said, oh, this Messiah, he's going to tell me everything I need to know. And as soon as she said that, this is what Jesus' response was. Then Jesus declared, I the one speaking to you. I am he. Jesus came out to her, I'm the Messiah. Just then, his disciples returned, and they were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or, why are you talking with her? So they're thinking all these things, but they're not saying it out loud. Jesus' disciples all 12 of them, I don't know why it takes 12 people to go get lunch. Um, but they all went into town to buy lunch, and they left Jesus there at the well, right? Um, they had gone into Sikar and had 
maybe begrudgingly had to talk to Samaritans and maybe had to touch some of their things. Uh, they were probably not happy about it. They had seen the people in Sakaar, but they were blind to the fact that the people in that town desperately needed the Savior who was sitting at the well near them. They were clueless to God's inclusion of Samaritans. They were clueless to God's inclusion of women. In fact, when, as the Samaritan woman left them, Jesus had to tell his disciples, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. They have been blind to the harvest, but the woman wasn't. Let's see what she did. Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. So, I've always wondered, what compelled this woman to rush back into town. We know she rushed because she left her water jar there. What compelled her to go tell the people, especially if she had been rejected and shunned by them, especially if she felt misunderstood by them and uh, like, why would she tell them? I believe that the power of your story with its mess and brokenness and its past is that it actually helps you to see and empathize with others who are also broken and needing God. Unlike the disciples who were not rejected, at least uh, they're men and they're now following a, a rabbi, but unlike them, the woman knew the pains of the people in Sakaar, because she lived with them and she observed, but also because she understood what it's like to be on the fringe of society. And she knew that as a Samaritan, they were all rejected by the Jews. She knew that these people that lived around her had the same questions about God that she did. She knew that they experienced marginalization, and rejection, her past revealed her brokenness, and her brokenness helped her to see the brokenness in the people around her. So I want to ask you, where does your story intersect the brokenness of those around you? Where does it overlap? Where does it connect with a similar story of pain and brokenness in someone else's life? Because you see, the intersection is not only the way to understand people, but it is actually the path that can help lead them to God. Your brokenness and your story helps you to see the brokenness in other people. And that very brokenness is the way that you can 
take their hand and bring them to God. The Samaritan woman rushed back to town and told everyone that this total stranger knew everything about her, everything about her past. And she said that with excitement and happiness. Like, when would you be happy to know that somebody knows everything you've ever done? Like, why would you be happy about that? I think you would only be happy about it if you understood that this knowing everything about you also came with a, yet he welcomes you with open arms and accepts you. He knows everything about me and everything I ever did. And he accepts me, loves me, and, and includes me. The Samaritan woman was willing to share her story of brokenness so that she could point people to Jesus, to his ability to know them, to his ability to accept them, and his ability to save them. I mean, Jesus himself had said to her, I, the person speaking to you, I'm the Messiah you've been waiting for. She could have gone back to town and said, hey, I met the Messiah. And then she would have tried to convince them that he really was the Messiah. But she didn't do that. She told her story. She said, he knew everything about me and he still accepted me. Could this be the Messiah? And then she said, well, come and see. Come with me. Come see. Come meet him. She did not need to convince them. But she was pointing them to Jesus himself. You have a story. And your story points people to God. Your story points people to God. You don't have to convince people. Though they might believe in Jesus because of your story. But more convincing than anything else is when they meet God for themselves. So here's what happened in this woman's story. Many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, which good Jews don't do. You don't go into a Samaritan's house. He stayed with them two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. And even they became inclusive, because they weren't just like, he's the savior of the Jews. They knew that the Messiah came for the world, which includes them. So I'm many, many decades older than that little five-year-old who first stepped foot in America, um, who was trying to figure out her place in the world. But you know what? The reality is that more often than not, I still feel weird. I still feel alone and unknown and excluded 
by the world around me. The difference, though, is that Jesus knows my past. He is here with me in the present. And he has saved me from that pain of shame and rejection because he knows me. He accepts me. He gives me a place of belonging with God. And I understand now that I don't belong to this world. And I will actually never be comfortable here. And I don't need to be included in this world because I'm already included in God's kingdom. But my past loneliness, my need to fit in, my wish to be accepted by others allows me to see the loneliness and rejection in other people. And I recognize that everyone needs a safe place to be themselves and to belong. And when I share my story of God's unconditional love and acceptance of me, I can point them to God. I can point them to the God who accepts them unconditionally and loves them completely and then I can let God be the one to write a new story for them, a story that brings him glory. At this time, I'd like to invite Paku to come and share her story. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Paku, and this is my story of experiencing God's love. So a few years ago, I had a relationship that ended and it was one that left me feeling hurt, lonely, and angry at God. This may be an experience we've all had once in our lives, possibly. You know, the one where you feel like your heart is literally being ripped. And um, I think in our own culture, we'd probably say like, That was me, and as silly as it sounds, that was my experience. In this experience, I was trying to grasp the understanding of the purpose of this event, the breakup. It was painful, so it began making me question the goodness of God, that if he loved me, why was I in so much pain? And through that, it actually started to make me question and doubt his presence in my life and even my own faith. I didn't know if I wanted to continue believing in him anymore. Then in the midst of the pain, I read John 16, 33. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And then surprisingly, a memory came up of a sermon. And it was about circumstantial faith. I began questioning my own. Was I beginning to question my own faith because of this breakup? And sadly, I was. And I couldn't see that Jesus had experienced all this hardship, and he had been able to overcome this world. And indeed, like I would also experience these troubles as well. But how was I experiencing his peace? In my questioning, in my pain, I doubted God's goodness. This was my circumstantial faith. But you know, God does amazing things. Even when I questioned and had come to see this in me, God showed his love through friends and family 
When I called out to him in my pain, he answered immediately. And y'all, like it was kind of a little creepy, but it was like legitly like that was God and he knew what I needed. And he, he definitely answered. And that was when I knew that he did, he loved me, he hadn't forsaken me. And it wasn't that God wasn't like present in my life, it was, or that he was distant. It was actually rather that I was distant from him. I had circumstantial faith. And he was still good. I learned that I didn't want to be shaken in my faith, even when I had difficulty experiencing his presence and love. Because truth was, he was still there. And as a result, I now see how pain can separate us from one another, and sometimes God. Sometimes the pain is too unbearable that we don't even want to experience it. So we turn to other things that would numb away the pain. And through this process, one of the biggest surprises for me was just how much he loved me and his presence in my life. So, when you find yourself in a dark place, like I was, remember that God is still there. Psalm 62, 5 through 8 says, For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Thank you. Thank you, my dear. So I ask you, where does your story intersect the brokenness of those around you? Where? Look at your past. Look at your own brokenness and see the brokenness of the people around you. And then let your story point people to God. Let your story point people to God. Join me in prayer. Oh, good and gracious Father who includes all of us, who knows us inside and out, who sees everything we've ever done, everything we've ever thought, everything we've ever desired to do. Lord, who knows us, you still accept us, and you still offer living water, that we could be filled with your spirit, that we could belong to you, that we could be children of God. So we thank you, Father. We pray that you would take our brokenness and allow us to love and see and invite people with that brokenness and point them to you. We love you and we thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.